it's, it's great to be here, and uh, I'd like to also say happy Father's Day to all the dads who are here. And um, so I have three kids, uh, two sons and a daughter, and uh, five grandkids, and uh, they all live far away. And um, so I've actually written, you mentioned 30, then this would be 31. I've written a book uh, on long-distance grandparenting because... Uh, uh, our kids kind of abandoned us, but we live in the, we've lived in the San Diego area for years, and um, and now live out in Alpine. My wife has uh, MS and and uh, couldn't get up early with me this morning to come. She's uh, it's it's uh, one of those uh, uh, difficult diseases that um, otherwise you know she's it's, it's uh, she's doing well otherwise, and uh, um, but. But uh, but I'm happy to be here. Last time I was here, I think I was uh, playing in a bluegrass band. We did a thing here. It's probably been 15 years ago, maybe. Uh, a little concert with an old friend of mine, Sonny Salisbury, and we recorded a live album here. And, um, uh, and that was a lot of fun. I do bluegrass music kind of as a hobby. You know, I, I actually had a band years ago. My brothers and I had a group called Brush Arbor. And uh, we made some records, and uh, we even were on Capitol Records for a while. And um, and I brought my guitar. I thought maybe I'd uh, do a song for you, if that's okay. <clears throat> um, but uh, bluegrass uh, is uh, is acoustic. Notice there's no wires attached to my guitar at all. And uh, normally I. I playing banjo, but, but, um, but uh, this is uh, uh, the guitar only, and, um, uh, and by the way, I do a bluegrass radio show on Sunday nights on KSON, 103.7 KSON, so if you're up late, um, uh, some of you may like to stay up late like me, and uh, if you do, it's 10 till midnight on, on KSON, and I'm going to... Uh, play this song tonight on the radio, not live, but the recording of it that we did with Brush Arbor years ago, and it's a song about my dad, our dad, my brothers and I, uh, in fact, I've got a picture here, uh, Here, that is um, me and my dad when I was just a little kid, and I was looking at that picture the other day, I thought, <laughs> you know, I looked just like I do now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But I was you know, like three years old. I mean, the poor kid. He must have, you know. Except that, uh, you know, me, I lost all my hair, you know, over over time. But uh, but that's my dad, and he was a building contractor, and uh, we uh, wrote a little song called "Daddy Was a Preacher." You know, he wasn't an actual preacher. He wasn't like a pastor or anything. Never was uh, in the ministry. But uh, but to us, he was. That's where we learned all about the Lord. Uh, it was from our dad. I'm so fortunate to have grown up in a Christian home, uh, having a mom and dad who, who loved and served Jesus. And uh, So anyway, here's a little song we wrote. Daddy was a preacher. And um, if you'd like to sing along, the chorus has, uh, there's a little chorus that's an old country gospel song, In the Sweet By and By. You, know, you ever heard that song? Okay. <clears throat> anyway, here's, can you hear the guitar? I was just a country lad Learned about the good life Was told about the bad 
Well, my daddy used to horse whip, so I never gave him no lip. He read me the Bible every night when the sun goes down. When I was old enough, old enough to ride, daddy would take me around the countryside. Tell about the meetings they held under the arbor, and in the light of the Georgia moon, I'd hear him say, He'd say, Son, you gotta learn to be a good man, with faith in the Lord to make you strong. Then he'd raise his head towards the mountains, and with a tear in his eye, he'd sing the song in the sweet. By and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Now it's just us and mama, and we're living on the faith that my daddy knew. And I believe in what he told me. If it worked for him, I know it'll work for me and you. He says, son, you gotta learn to be a good man. With faith in the Lord to make you strong. Then he'd raise his head towards the mountains. And with a tear in his eye, he'd sing the song. In the sweet by and by. Shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Everybody in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Hallelujah in the sweet by and Yeah, I'll play it on the radio uh, tonight and give a little shout out to Riverview. All right. So, <laughs> on San Diego's number one for new country, KSON. Well, um, we've got uh, uh, a little Bible study I want to do with you today, and uh, it is Father's Day, so I chose a Father's Day theme. And uh, the scripture, you, you've got a little handout in your uh, bulletin there that uh, has the scripture on it, and I'm, I'm going to uh, speak a little bit out of a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And uh, this passage is not written to fathers, specifically, or to mothers. Uh, it's really written to the church. And so, uh, as we speak today, uh, I, I just want you to, to understand that uh, we're not just talking just to dads, and, and uh, not all of us in the room are dads. Uh, we can learn a lot from this, just as Paul was trying to teach his church. But he compares his ministry uh, to uh, the kind of ministry that a father has with his children. For you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know 
that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul is kind of you know, trying to help the Thessalonians see that, that uh, his approach to ministry um, was valid and true. And uh, to illustrate, he compares his ministry with what good parents do. And uh, in fact, earlier he mentions mothers and how gentle they are with, with their children. And he says, I, I, I approach you with gentleness. And then he, then he moves into this passage where he, he specifically talks about how dads uh, deal with their own children. He says, that's the way I dealt with you. And so we can learn a lot from this. And I'm going to put some things up, in the, uh, up on the screen and help you fill in the blanks there in your, in your notebook or in your uh, outline. And uh, here's what we can learn. He starts off by saying, you are witnesses you know, of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you. In other words, uh, he's saying, you have firsthand knowledge of how the gospel can change somebody's life. Just look at me. You know, Paul never shied away from his position in ministry as a model that people could look up to and to pattern their life after. He says, you've observed firsthand how I've lived. Uh, he's not claiming here to be um, a uh, perfect. In fact, Paul was, even though he, he always welcomed the opportunity to be regarded uh, to, as an example for his churches to follow, uh, Paul was quite transparent with many of his uh, shortcomings and failures, but still he was happy to serve as a model. And so that's the first thing that we can learn in this passage about good fathering, is that uh, we, we serve as exhibit A uh, in our lives for our children and for our grandchildren uh, of what it means to be a grown-up follower of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, despite what, uh, what you hear, parents and grandparents are, I've seen study after study, and, and uh, uh, Mel you know, is right that, that uh, I've been in youth ministry a long time. And uh, in writing, I tell people I've been in youth work for 455 years. <laughs> That's because youth ministry years are kind of like dog years, you know, they... <laughs> they uh, take their toll. That's why I look how I do. But, um, but uh, over the years, I, I've seen all the studies. I've done all the research. And I kept looking for some research that would say youth pastors, of which I was one, are, the, you know, are having all this incredible influence. Not true. At the top of every study I've seen on this, parents are number one. Um, mom and dad. We, we have a position of great influence around our children. Number two are, is, is our grandparents. Uh, one of my, you know, I, I was just reading a, a Dallas Willard uh, book. Who Dallas is just a wonderful spiritual mentor to so many of us. But uh, he, was once, he was asked about who, who had the greatest influence on him spiritually. And he said it was my grandma. And uh, I thought, man, I want to be that kind of a grandpa in front of my grandkids. Um, I wish I'd known more about this when I was growing up. I was a little bit afraid sometimes to be a model, you know, uh, 
Because it, it implied that somehow, you know, you had to be perfect. And, and uh, we're not perfect. None of us are. And my wife once told me that I was a model husband. And I thought that was a real compliment until I went and looked up the word model in the dictionary. In fact, I brought it here. It's a small imitation of the real thing. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, but that's, that's pretty much the way it goes. You know, none of, none of us are going to be perfect parents. We blow it. We blow it a lot. And, um, but that's okay. We need to be around our kids and allow them to see how, how we live out our faith and how God is at work in our own lives. If you blow it, you admit it. You ask your kids for forgiveness when that happens if you want your children to learn right from wrong, you remember that saying, I was wrong, is just as important as saying I was right when you're teaching those things. In fact, one of the most uh, precious times I ever had with uh, my own son, uh, Nate, who's now, he's a uh, pastor at a church up in Seattle. Um, it's when he was a teenager, and I had, I had made some some wrong assumptions about, about some behavior that he was involved in. And, um, and I was quite condemning at the time. And, and, uh, and I had to come back later and just, uh, when I realized that I was wrong and admit it and ask his forgiveness. And as he hugged me in the driveway of our home, we both looked back on that time. It was probably one of the most bonding, uh, amazing experiences of a father and son that we'd ever had. And it was primarily because I was willing to admit that I, that I was wrong. And I learned a lot about that. And I'm, uh, modeling is so important. Just letting your kids see who you are and your grandkids see who you are and uh, being transparent and honest. I'm so thankful. My dad died young. He was, he was in a car accident and died when he was uh, 47. And uh, so he never got to see us, our grandkids, uh, or, any, or any of that. But, uh, but he left a legacy for us. And one of the legacies is that my, uh, he loved our mother. And he treated her like a queen. And, um, and that has really meant a lot to me as I've learned over the years how to treat my own wife. Um, you know, it's amazing. Studies tell us that many times, uh, abusive fathers, uh, more often than not, you know, are, grew up in, in abusive homes. And, uh, and don't let that discourage you if your family is a little dysfunctional going back a ways. Because I've always believed that we have the ability as, as followers of Jesus to become a transitional generation, a transitional family that uh, begins a long line of people who are following, following Christ. I look back, and I'm so fortunate that my dad and mom uh, loved each other. They stayed married at least for as long as dad was alive. And then I look at, uh, go back in our family tree, and, and, and likewise, they had parents who were faithful to each other. My brothers and I have two, two brothers. When we got married, we both kind of made a little pact with each other. First one to get a divorce, the other two will take them out and shoot them, you know. And, uh, and then when my sister Mary got married, we made her husband <laughs> sign on to the deal, you know. So we just want to let you know what you're getting into here because 
this is, a, this is something that we want to keep going. And it passes on, and it was done mostly by modeling. We'll come back to that. Let me give you the uh, next uh, fill-in-the-blank here, though. And uh, there it is, is uh, number two, is that fathers are encouragers. Now, Paul specifically says here, as, as, as fathers treat their children, encouraging is the first word that he uses. And we all know what that means. It's about affirmation. Good fathers encourage their children. I love the song we sang earlier. Uh, you're a good, good father. And, uh, and so much of that uh, in, the, in the song is, is you, you, you are, we are loved by you. you know, it's, it's the encouragement that we get from God. When I spend time with the Lord in the morning, uh, the words that I want to hear from my heavenly father, and I do hear from my heavenly father is that I am loved by him and to receive his affirmation. You are my beloved. And, um, and that's what kind of gets us going. And that's why we come together on Sunday morning to worship as well. But good fathers do encourage their children. And I'm so grateful that my dad was an encouragement to me. He always bragged on me. He was a building contractor. And from the time I could, old enough to strap on a, a, a tool belt, I was working for him as a carpenter. I could frame a house all by myself by the time I was 15 years old. And, uh, and that was because Dad made me think I could do it. And he put me in charge and let me get out there and swing, those, you know, swing the hammer and drive those nails and uh, use all the, 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 the power tools and all the rest. He, he was always encouraging me. And uh, it gave me a sense that I can do this. You know, kids live up or down to how we treat them. And too often we spend all of our time uh, putting our kids down, pointing out how they blow it. I always like to tell parents, catch your kids in the act of doing something good. You know, and it doesn't have to be unbelievably good. You know, I, my one of the things I discovered when I became uh, a parent um, was that my father gave me this wonderful gift when I was growing up of laughing at my jokes now, that doesn't sound like much to you, but I discovered becoming a parent that it's not easy to laugh at your kids' jokes. They're not very funny. <laughs> but I thought, but my dad, he'd call me in the room and say, hey, wait, uh, tell, me that, uh, tell him that joke. You know, the one you told me the other day about the guy on the airplane with the booger in his nose? Tell that joke. <laughs> I'd tell the joke all over again. And my dad, ah, he'd laugh, you know, and, and nobody else is laughing, but my dad thought I was so funny. And it, it, it kind of uh, made me realize, you know, no wonder I do what I do. You know, I've never been a stand-up comic or anything, but, uh, but when you go into youth work, you almost have to be, <laughs> you know, in order to, to do what you do. And I realized I got confidence. I got the ability to do all this stuff because I had uh, 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 an audience to play to. My brothers and I had this band brush. Or my sister, some of you may know Mary. She, Mary Rice Hopkins does children's music. But people have asked us, what is it about your family? Were your parents like professional musicians? Or were they in the ministry? All of you guys ended up in the ministry? No. They were just this wonderful audience to play to growing up. They, just were, they were constantly encouraging us. And, you know, when kids see good in themselves, kids live up or down to how we treat them. And, and uh, kids who are constantly put down, I can tell you in my years of youth ministry, 
I have, I have been around kids who are into serious trouble because all they've heard all their lives is, I'm a loser. I can't do it. I'm a failure. I'm, going, I'm always in trouble. I can't do anything right. And as a result, that's, they live down to those. They become self-fulfilling prophecies. I'm going to put a little picture up on the screen that uh, we'll just have some fun with. This is a logo that you're probably all familiar with. Uh, I passed a FedEx truck coming in today. I didn't even realize they were on, still work, they work on Sundays, but, uh, but I did see a truck. And uh, anyway, I put that up on the screen, and I'm going to now take it off the screen, and I'm just going to ask uh, this gentleman right here, <laughs> what color is the word fed? In blue. Blue. And what color is the word... <laughs> X. X. Brown. <laughs> brown. Actually, it's, it looks brown probably yeah. up there, but it's, it's red. Okay, and what color is the arrow? There is no arrow. There is no arrow. Um, you want to see it again? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks for helping. But there is an arrow, if you see, right between the E and the X there. And uh, many years ago, someone pointed this out to me, that the FedEx logo, a very important part of the FedEx logo is the arrow. When it was designed, that arrow, that's why they chose the typeface and everything, was because of that arrow. It signifies motion. I had never seen it before. But I, after I found out about this, now I never see a FedEx truck or a, without seeing the arrow. I see it all the time. And I realize, you know, that is very, very much uh, what it's like when we call out the good in our kids. They start to see it themselves. Um, so we are encouragers, and that's what we want to do. Um, I... Uh, uh, heard that psychologists say that we need eight to ten words of affirmation every day in order for us to thrive emotionally. And uh, unfortunately, most kids never hear it. Um, I've seen studies that say that kids, it's, it's just the reverse. It's, it's, kids will hear ten put-downs to every one word of encouragement every single day. And we as parents need to be the ones who are Encourage it. In fact, some of you need some encouragement right now. So turn to the person next to you and just say something nice, right? Real quick. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Good. So that'll, that'll help you kind of get started with the day. All right. Let's... Um, <clears throat> but you know, this isn't that hard. This isn't rocket science, folks. This is... Um, Paul is saying the first thing I do with you just as a good father does, is I encourage you. Uh, you've seen how I live. And then I encourage you. And then I have, uh, as the second point, you can write in, fathers are companions. There's other words you could use here. Uh, fathers are, you could even write the word there. They are present with their kids. That is really what this word comforting is all about. In the NIV, it's translated encouraging, comforting, and then Paul says urging. But the comforting 
is actually in, in the Greek, and I'll, I can put it up here on the screen. There it is in the Greek, is the word parakaleo. And uh, that's the word comfort. It's the same word we use in reference to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And what it means is, to, is the one who comes alongside. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of, of this passage, translates it, you know, I was there affirming you. I was there holding your hand. It's, it, the idea is, is of a father walking along the road hand in hand with his son or daughter. That's really what this word is all about. In other words, the comforting is not about, about consoling someone, offering condolences or um, sympathy or whatever, but it's all about spending time. Paul is saying, I spent time with you. I lived with you for several years. I was right there. And that's what my ministry was all I didn't do this from a distance. Neither do we parent from a distance. As we all know, uh, with children, they spell love, T-I-M-E. Um, it's, it's not our presence with a T-S that matters. It's our presence with a C-E on the end. That's what really matters to our kids. A recent study was done in which teenagers were asked how much time they spend, with their, spend each week with their parents, talking or doing things other than watching TV or being driven to school. And the average was about 10 minutes. Um, I would submit to you that uh, that's not enough time. Uh, we need time. And like I say, I've, I'd like to have a greater influence on my grandkids. They all live far away from me now. And so my wife and I have been trying to learn how using technology and and then airline miles and everything, trying to find how we can spend time with our grandkids. It's so important. People like to sometimes make a distinction between quantity time and quality time. You can't get quality time unless you have quantity time. So you spend time. I, uh, I'm going to put another picture up on the screen here that uh, uh, is of my son, Nate. He's in his 40s now, and he's, he's a pastor up in, up in Seattle. Uh, but uh, he's 10 years old in that picture. <laughs> and uh, I've, I was, I've been digitizing slides. I've got a whole, you know, 35-millimeter slides that I've been... Anyway, I ran across this one just recently, and I thought, I remember this. When he was 10 years old, we went to Tennessee. We had a little vacation, and we got a little rowboat and went out and caught a bunch of bluegill. These are little panfish. And uh, you, there's his catch, and you can tell he was pretty excited about this. He's 10 years old. So we come back. Uh, we get back home, and he starts his next, I think it was fifth grade. And the teacher is teaching him uh, the difference, you know, this, in his class at school, the difference between, uh, write, you know, biographies and autobiographies. And so all the kids had to learn, had to write their autobiography. These are 10-year-olds, so these are not going to be long, <laughs> you know, these auto but, uh, but it's my autobiography by Nathan Rice. He brought this home, and I read it. The first line of uh, his autobiography was, I was born to fish. And um, when I read that, I knew right then and there that God was calling me to buy a boat. And so, um, so I did. I bought a boat. And uh, we've had a, uh, two or three boats since then. 
and I bought a small boat, and then I bought a bigger boat, and I bought one that we could get out in the ocean. And, you know, we live here in San Diego. There's great fishing. And so we've, over the years, we've spent a lot of time on that boat together. He loves to fish. So do I. And uh, how great it is to spend time with you. And I'm not saying you need to all go out and buy a boat. This is not a Father's Day message on uh, where all the husbands are going, see, you know. Uh, no, it's really not about that. What can you do? How, do you, how can you spend time with your kids intentionally to be there and do what Paul is talking about here, what good fathers do? But unfortunately, and I know I've been there, uh, dads. I mean, I've uh, busyness is the great enemy of this in our lives. We get busy. Uh, my friend Jim Burns once said, if the devil cannot make you bad, he'll make you busy. And, um, and that is exactly, uh, unfortunately, uh, the truth. But let me get to the last uh, fill-in-the-blank thing here on your... And that's where Paul says he was not only encouraging and comforting or being with you, but urging. And this is the teaching part. The urging is, is where, where uh, has to do with instruction, with teaching. Good fathers urge their children to live lives that are worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It is our job as parents, our job as fathers and as grandfathers to pass our faith on, to tell our kids the stories, to make sure they're getting it right and again, this is one of those things, if we fail to do this, the world is more than happy to do the teaching for us. And it's just teaching by default. When kids are picking up all this stuff from everywhere else, we have the greatest influence on our kids. We can teach them. And scripture, by the way, gives it to us as our responsibility. I'm going to put some, uh, a couple of scriptures up here on the screen. This is from Deuteronomy 4. And it go, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. That verse hit me, uh, especially uh, between the eyes when I became a grandparent. Because, you know, you're not done when your kids grow up and move out of the house. Um, we're involved in also teaching these things to our grandkids as well. Here's another one, Deuteronomy 6, which is also called the Shema in the Jewish tradition. But he, it's jumping down. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, uh, the scripture is saying, parents, whatever it takes, do what you can to make sure the stories of our faith, uh, the teaching about in the, in the, the law, which was what Deuteronomy is all about. This is what I call, this scripture, I call it the first commission. We often hear about the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. But before there was a great commission, there was a first commission. And the first commission was for the people of God to teach their children the things of faith. That was, that's what made the great commission so astounding is because when Jesus came along and said, take it to the whole world, they were going, what? 
you know, we, the way the faith is passed on is to our children and their children's children. But Jesus is saying, now take it to the whole world. Besides, but the first commission comes first. It was a given. It was, it was what was, was understood uh, by uh, the religious community at that time. And Jesus kind of uh, expanded it so that we go out and we reach the world with the good news. But our first responsibility is to teach it to our children. I've seen a lot of, a lot of people in ministry who do a great job of taking it to the world and they forget about uh, their, their responsibility to do this with their own kids. You know, God is a good, good father. And these are the same ways that he relates to us. He is um, uh, one who, who uh, I'll just put it up here on the screen. He uh, gives us an example to follow in his son, Jesus Christ. He offers uh, encouragement to us, not condemnation. He does this day in and day out. He comes alongside us. As Jesus uh, said, lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And uh, he teaches us how to live. We have God's word, and that is what is our guidebook. And it teaches us how to be a disciple, how to be a follower. And uh, C.S. Lewis uh, always called the Christian faith the great obedience. As we uh, listen to uh, the words of our Father and uh, the words of Jesus teaching us how to live. But the order is important. You know, it's, uh, doesn't, we don't start with the teaching. There's our example, our encouragement, our coming alongside, and then the teaching. Back in my old Youth for Christ days, we used to call this winning the right to be heard. And that's the way we do it with our, with our children and our grandkids. It's the way God does it with us. And, uh, uh, and I pray that this uh, message will... will uh, Liberate you. Like I say, this is, uh, this, this is good news about parenting. It's not complicated at all. It just requires that we make, that we're intentional about it and that we, we follow the lead of, uh, of our Heavenly Father and uh, His Spirit. Let me pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good, good Father, that you encourage us, that you, you are with us. You've given us this supreme example of how to live in Christ Jesus. And Father, may we become more and more like you. May you teach us how to live so that our children, our grandchildren will also want to uh, follow you and to follow you for the rest of their lives. God, wrap your arms around our children and our grandchildren.